Welcome this evening. Um, we'll always start out with a little hymn like that just to uh, focus. And um, before we begin, since we're going to be focusing on the Psalms during this these Lenten midweeks, it would be good if you had your Bible. Um, and if it's handy now, that's great. If not, then uh, perhaps for next time you can you can bring it. Tonight we look at Psalm 6. Psalm 6. And uh, in the course of our in the course of our worship, we will have times for uh, questions when we read through. We won't spend a, a whole lot of time going over some questions that I have, but we will on some some of them. So let's begin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, thou out my thou put my <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> Didn't put that up. Okay, there we go. The spell correct didn't come on, so out's not the correct word there, obviously. Uh, let's begin again. Oh God, though our lips may be willing to confess our sins, we are reluctant to change our ways. Reveal to us sin's power so that we hate it, abhor it, and flee from it. Work in us a profound and enduring repentance and give us the fullness of godly grief to the end that through the tears of our brokenness we may see all the more clearly the brightness and glories of Christ's saving love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. 
I'm in the Atlanta airport and my flight home has just been canceled. The next one is jam-packed. If I miss it, I'm stuck in Atlanta all night. So I say to no one in particular, I'll give up to half my kingdom for a ticket home. Just then I spot one in the jacket of a man sitting on my left. He's sleeping and a cane is propped up against his seat. What a lucky break. Then I come to my senses. When was a time that you missed a flight, an appointment, or a meeting? And how did you feel? And what did you do about it? Now, since we're going to be interacting on these Wednesday nights, if you have something to say and want to share it with us, we'll do this like our prayers on Sunday. Unmike yourself, and then when you're finished, mic yourself again so we don't get a lot of distracting sounds to it. But this is a question. When was a time that you missed a flight, an appointment, or a meeting? How did you feel? And what did you do about it? Any volunteers? I think sometimes if I've missed a meeting, I say, I'm glad. <laughs> I don't like meetings. I can't remember a time I missed an appointment, though. And I don't remember a time I missed a flight. But maybe an appointment instead of an appointment, maybe think about it. Maybe you uh, forgot about a date that you had when you were dating or a promise mm -hmm. that you made to take your wife or husband somewhere or to meet them someplace. Mm 
I, I just, I remember um, missing the garbage man going, truck going by and forgot to take the garbage out. So was kind of disappointed. <laughs> so you were disappointed. What did you do about it? Did you yell at your husband? I kind of yelled to my husband. <laughs> okay, that's how that was solved. No, you didn't yell at me. Well, SL, I you missed a, anything? Yes, I did. I missed a phone call from my doctor that I thought was at a later time, and I just called to reschedule it. <laughs> but it was very important because we're in the quarantine times, and so... I know their time is very extreme and they are assisting many people. So it was the first time I felt it was very, very important that I reach out immediately. And if I have missed things, I will follow up with it, but it could be several hours. So that time really concerned me greatly. So, yeah. Yeah. I would, I would, I think that sometimes uh, in missing a meeting or an appointment, uh, we might not like meetings or, like you said, with a with an appointment, it it kind of makes you feel bad that you took someone else's time, and that's one yeah. thing. And also, it could make you feel bad because um, it could make you feel bad because uh, people might get a bad impression of you as well. Um, the, if you didn't uh, keep your promise, you didn't go, you, you feel bad about it because maybe you missed the garbage man or missed an appointment. Um, but also there's that aspect that uh, perhaps you let someone else down and maybe that made you feel bad too. You didn't live up to expectations. You didn't meet the requirements, even if it was getting there on time. Um, you miss the appointment, you miss the appointed time. Um, and we solve it in different ways. Um, have you ever missed a flight as the example, appointment or a meeting or did something like that and you felt bad, but what did you do about it? Were your first words or first thoughts to say that you were sorry? I think that's maybe sometimes the last thought that crosses our mind to say that we're sorry that we missed a meeting, or I'm sorry that I missed the appointment, and accept the blame. Tonight's um, devotion is on accepting the blame and what to do about it. And we're going to look through our next five Wednesdays at penitential psalms. Lend is a time for repentance is a time to introspect on who we are. And it's something that we really don't do a lot of, except during the time of Lent, probably. Um, we know we're sinners. We know we're bad. We know we are deserving of God's wrath. But we don't really meditate on it. In um, Luther's time, and even before that, um, they used to have a grim reminder of 
repentance. In, uh, and I realized it the first time because in a museum in the cathedral in Guatemala of a, uh, a, a priest or missionary, they had his robes that he wore, and this was during the 1500s, and everything that he used. And then he had in his devotional shelf, he had a skull, a skeletal skull. You might think, well, gosh, what was that for? Well, people at that time, and that's why even Shakespeare has that dialogue with that skull in the cemetery. I think it's of Hamlet. Um because they meditated on their condition, their frailty, their need for a savior. Well, we won't use skulls during these five weeks, but we will take a look at who we are and what we do by looking through David's and other psalmists' eyes and how they express uh, their need for their savior. Um, so, we're going to look tonight at Psalm 6, and I broke it down into sections. And if you have it before you there, we'll look and read each section. But then it's going to be good on your Bible because we'll have other questions that come in. And <clears throat> um, we, you can look in your Bible then to refresh your memory on what you read. Psalm 6, verse 1 through 3, the first three verses are an appeal to the Lord for grace. It reads, David says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? The next three verses are a description of David's desperate plight. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. And then the closing two verses is the Lord's gracious response in the defeat of David's enemies. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping, and my eye wastes away because of my grief. And I just realized that I put the former verses there. So, what are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go ahead and read those from my other Bible. So how did I feel about it, and what am I doing about it? I'm feeling that I let you down, and what I'm doing about it is saying I'm sorry. The last verses again now. 
Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea, and the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So that's how David ends this psalm now. Consider this. This is a penitential psalm, is a prayer, and includes deep angst in the first part, and intense weeping in those middle verses, and it ends with an outburst of defiant faith in God. So what's David getting at here? If you read Psalm 38, verse 1 and 4, and compare it with Psalm 6, verse 1, someone can look that up if you have your Bibles, why is God angry with David? Why is God angry with David? Psalm 38, verse 1 says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And verse 4 says, For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. So, Comparing that with our first verse in Psalm 6, why is God angry with David? Someone would like to answer. Anyone? Well, his soul is troubled. And I feel that go ahead, SL. Thank you, Pastor. I think because he has lost focus on the love of God and dwelling more in his own pity and his unfortunateness is what I'm receiving from this now in my own reflection. And he hasn't given God the credit and the same understanding of the promises for which he made him and how he would bring him through all measures. Okay. In his Sure. He let God down, didn't he? He let God down. He went back. He was to be this great king, and then he fell in adultery, right? And he took Bathsheba. Um, um, he took... Um, Uriah's wife. Yes. And so he fell. And it says his bones were aching. Go ahead, Becky. Yeah, I, I mean, he, yes, oh, oh, his bones was aching. He was devastated. He was feeling sorry for himself. Sure. But why? And so God is angry with him, right? He's, he has a wrath that's against him. What does the Bible teach about God's indignation and his error? Can someone look up 1 John 4, 8? We can look up 1 John 4, 8. We can do that quickly. 1 John 4, 8 and Isaiah 54, 7. Would someone like to read 1 John 4, 8 and verse 16 as well? 1 John 4, 8 
and 16. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay. And verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Okay. How about Isaiah 54, 7? What does that say? For a short time I abandoned you, but with great compassion I will gather you. Wow. So what does the Bible teach about God's wrath or anger and indignation? God was angry with David. David yeah. was expecting his wrath. But what else does the Bible teach us about God's anger and wrath? He has compassion and forgiveness. He has compassion and forgiveness. And Isaiah even emphasizes that it's for a short while, isn't it? Even though in our psalm, David asked the question, how long? Right? How long is he going to feel this way? Well, consider this. Speaking of grace, then, which is what David longs for in Psalm, in Psalm 6, verse 2 and verse 9, what are some other words or images you would use to define this grace, this gift? So in Psalm 6, verse 2, David's painting a picture of an image uh, he says, be gracious to me, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord. And his image is because my bones are troubled. Well, we'll get to talk a little bit about that in a second. His bones are troubled. And in verse 9, he says, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. So it's an accepting of prayer. What other images do you have? Could to define this gift of grace that even you receive for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you ever think of it in images? Um, someone, I don't think it was, maybe it was at Grace, who said that, uh, in fact, Judy, I think it was you, but correct me if I'm wrong, um, that in the shower, in the, in the, when you take a shower, you actually remember your baptism. And um, it's like your sins being washed away. Well, that's, a, that's great. That's a great way, an image of defining that, describing that gift of grace that you long for. Go ahead, Judy. It is, but it wasn't me. Okay. I remember, I remember that though. I'm trying to remember who it was that said yeah, that. I, can't remember. I remember it too, but it, was, yeah. it wasn't me. Okay. Were you going to say something else? Oh, okay. That was it. No, no, no. All right. All right. So what other, perhaps another image, what other image might you have, you personally, of, of God's grace? SL? I think it was Karen Sino that said that Pastor Gilbert had said, when you take a shower, I remember him 
remember her saying that in one of our Bible studies one Sunday morning. Okay. And so I think remembering. Okay. All right. So nobody actually imagines. Uh, 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 I, that's a challenge. Then I challenge you to think of an image to get a grasp an image of God's grace and forgiveness that are that's not words. Uh, maybe it's uh, it's contained in, in another image. Maybe in a nature, in an image of nature or something like that. Who would like to read Exodus twenty two, twenty six through twenty seven? I think this is a a beautiful example of what an image would be to define God's grace. Exodus 22, 26 to 27. It says, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So the idea of God's grace here and that image is that the pledge of a cloak, if you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, in other words, you win the bet, you have it, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. That's a pure grace. The person doesn't deserve the, the, deserve the cloak back, not if it's rightfully yours, but it might be his only covering and his only cloak for his body. And the question is, in what will he sleep? So, and then the Lord says, if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. That's how compassionate our Lord was when he was on this earth healing people, right? He, out of, out of divine grace, not worthy, not merited on anyone's part, he healed and he loved them. So those things come to us. Um, it, not only in words when we declare forgiveness of sins, but in images I think, during the day as well of God's grace. Read the verse 5 in Psalm 6. What do you think David means when he says that his bones are troubled? Now, this is really interesting, I think. What do you think he means when he says his bones are troubled? Now, there's some verses there you can jot down to look at a little bit later, and I'll kind of tell you what is in them, but they're interesting to read. What do you think he's getting at there? Verse 5 says, for in the depth there is no remembrance of you. I'm sorry, verse 2, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. This Bible that I have, my mom gave me. It's a study Bible and has little notes on the side. Okay. And it says that the bones, literally the entire being, were troubled. In Hebrew thought, such suffering was generally connected directly with sin. Absolutely. So I guess Great. if you were 
great answer. Your entire body, you had a big fan. Yeah. Absolutely. Great, great, great answer. You know, and 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 we see we see, I, I just jotted some some things down here. In in Proverbs, it talks about the rottenness of the bones, which uh, is signifies the feeling of a man uh, whose wife causes him shame or confusion. It's equivalent to envy or jealousy, but that's rottenness of bones. The same phrase is used in, in Habakkuk, meaning utter, utterly dejected through, through a evil that's approaching. Um, it's also in Job, it means excessive fear, dejection, sadness, um, the burning of bones. Jeremiah talks about the burning of bones, meaning a disease stands for grief and depression. Um, dryness of bones, the, the dry bones, the valley of the dry bones, um, the idea that there is no life, there is complete emptiness, um, wasted away, ill at rest. So the bones are life. And, and in, in Hebrew, you have bones talking, you have the heart talking, you have aspects of the body. You love people with all your guts and not your heart. Uh, Hebrew is very descriptive. So his bones are troubled. Means he's dying. Right? There's a he's aching to the bone about what he did. He's literally sick. Have you ever been physically sick because of something that you did? Probably not an appointment at the airport or something like that. But have you physically ached? Maybe we could consider it stress. Maybe we could consider it bad conscience that just eats at us. Or has anybody, anybody experienced physical illness? That they want to talk about. I think sin can gnaw at us that way. Like a, like a, like a rat on a dead piece of meat, you know, it just kind of gnaws away at you. You remember it, don't you? Something that you've done, something that that you didn't live up to, and it can just it can just stuck in your craw and keep maybe gnaw all the way down to the bone of things. And that's what's that's what David is experiencing, and that's why he is he is longing to see God's grace. So in verse 6, in David's lament, he says, he's expressing it as a moan. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. The Egyptians, this word for moan is the same word that describes Israel under the Egyptian slavery when, when God says, I have heard the groans of my people. Same, same words. Same thing after Jerusalem fall to the, fell to the Assyrians in 597 BC, or the Babylonians. And the same that Job expresses in suffering in Job 3 is a moaning. How do these texts help you define the suffering that sin brings with it? Have you suffered inside because of sin? Have you moaned or groaned? 
it might come with having old bones, but have you suffered inside where you actually moaned? Even a grunt to the Lord, show your mercy, show your grace. Look at the final verses here, verses 8 and 10. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Suddenly, David changes his, uh, his posture a little bit here. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea and accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Why that sudden, not just giving thanks to God for hearing his plea, but chasing away all the workers of evil? What role do the enemies play in David's prayer? And what role do your enemies play in that same thing when you're praying to God, perhaps maybe in a different way. But what, what role do the enemies play in David's prayer? What were the enemies doing to David? Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. What do you think they were telling David, his enemies? You're unforgivable. Bingo. God's not going to listen to you. Yeah. What are you doing praying? Your sin is too great. You know what? Sometimes we don't even need other people to tell that to us, do we? We kind of think that ourselves, and we can attribute that to Satan. Satan's the biggest accuser, right? And he will keep on accusing until he is thrown into the lake of fire. But David's enemies all go away ashamed, and they're greatly troubled. They turn their back on him, but they're put to shame because God did answer David's prayer. And David knew that even before while he was praying for forgiveness, even while he was longing for that for that forgiveness of sins. He knew it, his confidence. He heard my plea, accepts my prayer. What do you think made David so sure that the Lord had heard his plea and accepted his prayer, even in the face of people ridiculing him and saying, why would you even go to church? Why would you even go to the temple and pray? Why do you think someone has to forgive your sins? You're too bad for that. What gave David that confidence? What do you think? I'm guessing his faith. Absolutely. And faith always has an object, Tracy. Faith in what at this point? Faith in the promise that he was told. Faith in the promise. Yep. Absolutely. The promise to not, not, just, not just him, but to the whole people of Israel. They went through the Red Sea, right? He's the God of 
He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. His promise has been faithfulness throughout centuries. And he's always been faithful to David. He took him out. He rescued him in battle. He did everything. So he knew that the Lord would forgive him. He knew that his weeping would be turned to joy. Judy, were you going to say something? Just, just agreeing with Tracy. No. Yeah, absolutely. So these are penitential psalms. They, they show us how deep sin can be ingrained in us, the feeling of sin. Just not, just not looking at the action, but the feeling, the wasting away, but the joy that comes from knowing that God is faithful to his promise. Let's uh, let us sing the following hymn here. I don't know if you know this, but we'll sing along best we can with the person. Let us close in prayer. 
O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and make you whole. Amen.